Hello again. This is Towards Vivencia in conversation with the podcast. My name is Jorge Crecis and after being in the contemporary dance world for nearly 20 years and traveling the world as a performer, teacher and choreographer, I realized that the most common problems for artists are always the same, lack of consistency and regularity in training, how we find our own directions to reach our own goals, but also having the accountability mechanisms to stop procrastinating. Also, what kind of training do we do? We train speed, strength, flexibility, but rarely we train skills that are at the core of our profession. Self-care, resilience, mental and spiritual presence, mindset for auditions or difficult processes, playfulness in general, and also how lonely this profession can be at times, always changing jobs, cities. So this program Towards Vivencia is here to connect with people from the same profession, but outside of the usual environments to go beyond our traditional training. In my workshops and creations, we work all those things, but we miss the consistency and the medium-long-term goals. That's why, a bit more than a year ago, I created an online training program called Towards Vivencia. The journey has been amazing and has exceeded my wildest dream. Now we are a really big online community with people from more than 16 different countries. Through the program, we are providing tools to train stage presence, and to listen what we really want as artists and what we have to do to make it happen. We share mechanisms on how to deal with obstacles and rejection, how to celebrate our successes, and we have learned how to enjoy our career as performers and artists even more. As we continue to grow, I am extremely excited to share the latest addition to our program, our podcast Towards Vivencia in Conversation With. Here I am speaking with people I greatly admire, talking about what they understand big performance presence to be, how it works for them, and how they have survived the ups and downs of their careers. This informs our Towards Vivencia training, but we also wanted to share this amazing conversation with you all. To get the latest updates about the Towards Vivencia in Conversation podcast or the program, make sure you subscribe to this podcast or our newsletter. In this episode, I have the pleasure to talk to the founder and director of Goa Dance Residency, Navala Chaudhari and Nathalian Parchment. We talk about how from world-class dancers, they became founders and creators of Jungle Contemporary Dance. We discuss the answer from whenever you need to justify why dance should be available to everyone. We discuss how important is hunger, excitement, commitment and determination for our careers but also how to fight those difficult moments that often arrive in our dance careers, the power of training presence, and how to avoid feeling bad for not achieving all our daily chores. Check out our website for the notes about this conversation, resources, and links. These are two great friends, but above everything, two very, very human artists that I greatly admire, and I was extremely delighted to chat with them. Without any further delay, it is my great pleasure to introduce you to the third episode of Towards Vivencian Conversation podcast with Niku and Nathaniel.
Okay, here we are with another episode of Towards Vivencia in conversation with uh, the podcast. In this time, uh, this time we have two amazing monsters of the dance world. We have uh, Navala Chaudari, or as I prefer to call her, Miku, and many of her friends. And then we have Nathaniel Parchment with us. So we have, uh, it's, it's the second time that we have a pair with us in the, uh, in the podcast. Let me introduce you a little bit, uh, just a little bit. We will go deeper into what these two beasts uh, are doing in, in the dance world. But before I introduce them, like always, uh, Nathaniel, uh, Niku, thank you very much for joining me today in this Towards Vivencia in conversation with. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank Lovely you for having here. us. So for those who doesn't know them, uh, Niku has been uh, performing with the most prominent uh, contemporary choreographers uh, at the moment. Uh, she trained initially in martial arts, in Kung Fu, and then she completed her professional dancing uh, training at the Northern School of Contemporary Dance, uh, graduating in 2002. Since then, pff, she's been working with absolutely everyone, with uh, Tabasiba, Shivana Jensen, Afran Kam, New Movement Collective, Hussein Chalajan, Union Dance, C.D. Uh, Larby, uh, and actually with C.D. Larby she's been working as, a, as an assistant uh, for Anna Karenina and uh, she also restages some of his works in different places and she's been performing as well, which take her into the dance uh, professional teaching at the place, Scottish Dance Theatre, New Zealand School of Dance. Uh, so she's a beast. She also does uh, yoga and capoeira and she keeps learning at all times. And today we're going to learn and we're going to know more about her Goa Dance Residency program in India. And that's why Nathaniel is with her. Uh, Nathaniel, she, is, she started working with the National Youth Company in London and working with uh, various other uh, people that she will tell you about, that he will tell you about uh, briefly. But mainly, um, Six years ago, his life changed uh, completely while he went to um, India and started uh, teaching and, and realizing that, yes, in India there is some contemporary dance. So, Nathaniel, Niku, it seems very clear that uh, you went from uh, a very uh, direct career into performing and, uh, and being a, a dancer into more teaching and sharing. And Nathaniel, you were telling me before we started the podcast about your travel to India. So can you tell us a tiny bit more about it? And Niku, can you tell us why this transition? How, how did it happen? Oh yeah, I came to a point in my life where I needed a bit of a break from London and the UK and the world that I had been inhabiting for such a long time. And when I went to um, India, I um, was in Goa. Um, it's a place that most Westerners end up landing in when they first go to the country. And um, I was lucky enough to discover the um, contact festival that was going on there. And um, I had some, some friends, some contacts who, who were running that, and I ended up teaching on it. And they had some uh, Indian scholarship students, a small group. I was teaching them some contemporary dance technique. And I was blown away by how much they loved what I was doing and um, for me it's I realized that the training that I had received I really had taken for granted um, for me it was I didn't value it so so highly except when it, it was reflected back to me um, by the Indian students um, their hunger for 
something from the West and uh, their enthusiasm um, that they, uh, with which they approached uh, what I was teaching them. So yeah, it was that experience that just gave me a totally new perspective on the value of what I have, what I've received and what I know and what I have to give. Um, yeah, whereas I think that, you know, in, uh, for want of a better term, the West, um, or um, in our contemporary dance worlds, um, valuing ourselves is not such an easy thing to do. Um, again, because we tend to take ourselves or what we do for granted. There's a lot of competition, um, and artists in general, you know, it's, it's difficult to get a huge amount of recognition um, in institutions or markets or sectors. Yeah, so it was this very unique viewpoint of the Indian dancers that, um, yeah, just created this new passion in, in, in me, um, like you say, to serve. Um, it was a very natural progression. Mm, fascinating. Thank you, Nathaniel. I will ask you a tiny bit more later on about that, what you said about what is that the special thing if you could be more... Um, if you can describe us exactly what is that the special thing that you saw, but uh, before we go into that, uh, Niku, can you tell us a little bit about your transition, please? Um, I think for me, as a performing artist and working for different choreographers around the globe, I think it came to a point in my career where it became much about myself. And... Um, I think there was a point where I just wanted to give back, to inspire people, to, you know, give the knowledge that I had learned through working with these choreographers, through my performance, through traveling and meeting different people from all over the world, and actually bring that to a certain place where there is a hub for international, national students to come together and to inspire each other and create a whole union of different classes, different people from different cultures to come and actually share and learn from each other. And it was actually on the off chance that I met Nathaniel <laughs> because I was not planning on being in Goa and I actually went to India, I think it was in 2017? When we When met. we first met. Well, did we, was that, that wasn't actually the first time we had met, was it? Not the first time we did meet. No. He's, um, Nathaniel is actually a very old friend of my sister's. Yeah, so we have a, a connection going way, way back. But we were never in touch until mm. we met on the off chance at the coconut stand in Goa. <laughs> at Mandarin Beach. And um, he just told me about his whole project. So I was like, okay, wow, this sounds really interesting. And then I went to Jungle Dance Theatre where it actually was happening. And I thought, wow, what an incredible space, an incredible place, an incredible project that he was doing. And I was just like, wow, I want to be a part of this. So that was kind of my transition. I mean, I still perform, not as much but um, I think for me, just to give back to the next generation of dancers, and especially for me, growing up in London and having the opportunity, and I think this is something that me and Nathaniel both share, is that we got our training for free. Mm. Because 
our parents came for, from lower income backgrounds, we yeah. were able to do high class quality contemporary dance training pretty much for free. Mm. And this is something that I would love to give back to, to everyone, the opportunity to have that kind of rigorous training that everyone can afford to, to afford to pay for. Yes, yeah, just we're very lucky in this part of the world that we have that kind of civic society and and uh, um, established social security where, where high quality, higher education in the arts is promoted and, um, and uh, yeah, funded. Again, that's something that I think, you know, we've been taking for granted to a certain extent or not fully understood its value until you go to somewhere like India, which, you know, is a very advanced country in many, many ways, yet they don't have even a fraction of what we've had for a generation. Mm. Yeah, you're totally right. It seems like uh, it's something that we take for granted many, many times now that we have a morning class, that we have a training place to go and, and do yoga and kung fu and capoeira and, and all that stuff. But this is not very, very common in, all, in other places in the world. And uh, I have a, a slightly controversial question before we go into and Nathaniel, what is the, the special thing that you discover in these Indian dances? And, and I have another question for you, Nico, before what you said. But before we go into that, why you both as uh, artists with a huge uh, international background, with uh, as, as very, very developed human beings, why do you think a dance education is necessary? Why this should be available everywhere? For me, it gives me freedom. I think there was something from a very, very young age, freedom of expression, and it gives you a sense of power in your body, how you relate to society, the skills, the natural skills that your body can do and function, you know? For me, it's really something I cherish. You know, I wouldn't give up for the world that I have a much more able body, thinking, feeling body that can connect in so many different ways that I don't see in other professions. And uh, from my point of view, I mean, it's pretty much exactly the same thing. Um, I remember when I was doing my degree at uh, London Contemporary Dance School, I got a real sense of the fact that us as dancers investing so much time and energy into investigating our bodies and our bodies' possibilities, um, we are extraordinary beings. We're in an extraordinary place. And we kind of have a key, a really valuable key to give the world in that we have put ourselves or been given the opportunity to put ourselves in this extraordinary place of being embodied, active people, um, which is so rare and extraordinary compared to others who rarely consider their bodies for day to day. It's either standing, sitting, walking, lying down or running. So, you know, at the level of say athletes, um, we have this kind of, yeah, really special place um, or, or point of view on what it is to be human. 
on the human condition. And our work communicates that experience and is of value to people. However, the dissemination of that knowledge or the visibility of that practice is still so little um, and not so valued in society compared to, for example, science, finance, politics, and so on and so forth. Obviously not taking away from the value of those things. Um, and what was really special during the three years I was training was that um, one of my favorite teachers, um, Amanda Britton, was doing her master's degree at that time where she was investigating how the developments into body-mind practices were, could, be, could influence the contemporary dance technique training. And um, she really kind of gave us an insight into things like Bonnie Brain Bainbridge Cohen's Body Mind Centering, things like Feldenkrais and somatic practices. Um, and that really blew my mind, actually. And so going back to your original question, I could go on forever, what's so special about that? It's like, take, again, a country, say, like India and its history of yogis, for example, that yogic tradition. Um, we don't have that. In the West, we've been influenced by those practices in India, in Japan, and so on and so forth at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, we've developed this kind of 20th or 21st century body practice, which, in my opinion, is a form of yoga. And um, yeah, so why is an arts education important? It's important so that there is always a group of people in every generation who has investigated to the nth degree the human condition. Because if we don't have that group of people who are investigating what it is to be human, we run the risk of becoming less human. Oh, beautifully put, uh, Nathaniel. Thank you very much. I, I totally agree, and I think you yes, summarized it in a, in a great way, because the more we experience through our bodies, which differently uh, from uh, sports, which they need to go from A to B, there is a very clear goal and a, a clear uh, direction. But for us dancers, which is a permanent research, is, is exactly what you said, researching what it, it is to be human. Talking about that, what Indian dancers, Nathaniel, you were saying that something blew your mind when you were there. What is the humanity, uh, if, if I can use that term, going back to your answer, that you uh, perceive from them that it was so special that makes you, you get hooked into that place and into that people. And Nico, coming back to what you were saying about the things that you learned and that you wanted to, to give back, what is the things that you experience that you learn that makes you more human, that uh, makes you connect more with that, your humanity, going back to those uh, terms that we were using, that you want to pass on? now okay so um when i start like i said i started um teaching um in india on the goa contact festival i was teaching them some contemporary technique and you know i had not been planning to teach <laughs> when i went to goa it was really quite a surprise so they said can you teach i said yeah okay i'm not really very prepared i wasn't thinking oh wow i'm giving them the best workshop in the world but the response was like it was you know, like you say, the Holy Grail. You know, it was like, wow. They were so 
appreciative of what I considered a very standard contemporary dance class, in fact. So suddenly, through their eyes, the value of my knowledge and practice was amplified. You know, when you, when you teach, you, you also get something back. Well, this was it. It was a kind of continuous sort of cycle. Um, all I had to do was be true to myself and the value of that kept coming back through um, the experience of, of these dancers who were so hungry. I think it was the hunger that I actually recognised from when I was young. I think that's what it is, actually. It was this, this hunger and excitement for life, for activity, that I think I had lost a little by that time. And it was seeing that again that really inspired me. To add to that, like having directed the Goa Dance Residency in 2018 and meeting these young students, it was their determination, their will to just continue. Like if I was teaching a class, you'd have to tell them to stop. <laughs> Otherwise, they would just keep, keep on continuing and continuing. And after like teaching all across the globe, I've never seen so much enthusiasm and commitment and determination to better themselves. And I think that's something from when I've taught in you know, other countries that don't have this, these kind of facilities. It's something that helps them breathe, you know, because they don't have this opportunity. And that humanity of just seeing the joy from the freedom of expression and the power that they gained from that dance was just something that I was super, super inspired by. I'd also like to add on to that, that um, after I was first teaching in Goa, I then decided that I wanted to go around the country and sort of explore the dance scene a bit more. And so I contacted a few of the main dance academies in the country and started you know, offering a few workshops here and there. So I met lots of other dancers. One major difference I saw there and also on the residency that I later started was that, for example, when we as dance artists go to a class, like a morning class or whatever, um, we do the class, it's great, you know, um, we'll learn a routine or whatever. Ask us in the afternoon or maybe the next day to repeat the phrase, 50% of the time, we might not be able to. However, every single student that I was teaching was then rehearsing it after the class finished. And then I teach them the next time and they already had it. I didn't have to go over it again. Then I would see a Facebook video of them doing it. I've then seen my students then teaching the material I've taught them to other students or students of younger children. Basically, what I'm saying is that they are sponges. Because there is such a dearth of good um, training, or rather there's such a lack of good training, the little that they do receive, they are highly trained and honed to receive that information and to retain that information and to use it and to pass it on. This is quite extraordinary. <laughs> um, also, you see that what, what you give actually has real tangible value straight away because it's going to be disseminated instantly. Um, I love that.
it's, it's so cool. It means what you do has a life. And another thing I'd like to add on to that is that, of course, I've learned a lot about this, the uh, socioeconomic situation of such students, especially those who I, who I later brought to, to go to be on the full-time residency. And a lot of these students, they have to fight to be dancers in the first place. The idea of being an artist or a professional artist just isn't really done in a country like India for many reasons that I won't go into specifically. However, most students have to fight very hard to be allowed to do it. Mm. Yes, and, and that's probably the, the, the reason why, right? Is the lack of opportunities, the struggle, the fight that makes people, and the, the lack of opportunities that makes people hungry. And I was wondering right now, something that you said in the, at the very beginning, that you lost a little bit that hunger before you went there and they they helped you not to to regain that hunger and that's something that towards Juventia we we see a lot we we hear dancers who are struggling day by day as freelancers to maintain a regular job or even to be invited to auditions and and it seems like that those struggles um keep mining keep uh making the, the continuation harder rather than feed the, the need for, for training more and, and, and carry on. There, there is a resilience that is necessary nowadays in the Western world because it's a reality that there is less jobs, there is less opportunities, uh, economical. We are in, entering the, in a new recession financially in, the, in 2021. Uh, so my question for you would be, what would you say, or, or now that you've been there and then you come back, one of the ways for you to regain that hunger is through their eyes, through their hunger, you regain yours. But the people who has not the chance to, to go there and to work with people in India, which I, I guess it would be some similar in, in other countries, not as developed culturally, like would be uh, uh, in, in some parts of Africa, some parts of Asia, actually even some parts of of Europe, mainland Europe, some, some parts are not that culturally developed. So besides going to those places, you, you both, Nathaniel and Miku, what would you say that it would be a way to fight for, for the dancers that are mainly listening to us, that moments in which there is a, a lack of, um, of hunger, a, a doubt if whether I continue or not in this dance world? Yes, um, I mean, I, I totally recognize what you're saying. Um, I think it's a, it's a problem in general um, with, our, with our world, with our sector. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of the first mentoring program of the Kerry Nichols dance here in the UK, where Kerry Nichols, she's a really well-respected artist here in the UK, and she works all over the world now. And um, she basically says exactly what you're saying, that there is a, a problem with mid-career dance artists in that um, the environment within which we work can be quite disillusioning, if that's a word, that we, we experience a lot of disillusionment with, with the sector and with the opportunities available to us. What I would say is that from you know, our experience of working in India, where actually there, are, there isn't even a national dance company or a well-funded dance academy with scholarships. We have so much opportunity here, and actually we have to become 
entrepreneurs. We have to develop new methods of disseminating our work and new methods of reaching people so that they understand its value. There are routes to do this. In India, for example, um, like I say, there aren't many opportunities to, to, to even train at a high standard. And that's why it, um, you know, it's always, we, we've always had a large amount of scholarships that we've given to Indian students who would never actually really have the opportunity to come. And what's interesting when is that they take that knowledge and then they start to create their own stuff out of it straight away. Um, and, and this uh, resourcefulness is, is something that, that we need to understand. I, I think what you were saying, your question was um, for those dance artists who are perhaps finding it a little bit difficult to continue within, within our dance world. I'd say come to India. <laughs> come and uh, uh, see a, a new world, as it were, um, where, I mean, look, when I first went, I, of course I'm plugging India and also plugging our project a little bit here, but one thing that's that was really exciting for me when I went to India was that, one, I could live well, I could live cheaply, I could have my own place, I was in a very healthy environment, natural in Goa, by the sea, coconuts, amazing food, so on and so forth. I could dance, I could perform. There's actually lots of opportunities just to get up and dance so much live music. I could choreograph, I could teach, all in one place, whilst having a really healthy lifestyle. It was a revelation. And, okay, not everybody wants to go over to, to India, but there is another, there, is, there are other ways, there is another life, um, the world is vast. I think as artists we have a responsibility to create new paradigms for our work, to create new audiences, to convince people of the value of our work, and the only way we can do that is to understand our own value, and the economic situation is not going to help us do that. You know, if we keep looking for people to validate our work, it's not going to happen. We must help each other validate our work um, so that we're then inspired to, to, to disseminate it. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. It's something that I think we're all, all struggling with to a certain degree. Um, yeah. I think adding on to that is probably questioning why you are in this sector from a start. You know, why are you dancing? <laughs> what, is your, what is your place in this society? Because I think also it has something to do with self-belief and what you're trying to say. And that's something I've always luckily had passed down through my mother is self-determination. You know, I was not someone who, you know, I started my career auditioning just going to thousands and thousands of auditions. You know, people see my CV and they're like, wow, you've worked for all these companies. It wasn't handed to me on a plate. You know, I did village tours, you know, we set down the floors, we put up the lights. We, you know, I've worked my way to get to where I am now, but I think it's also self-affirmation that you, you have to believe in what you're doing and you have to believe in what you're saying. And this is something that I always question now 
seeing the, the art that is around is like, what is the most important? I always see art as a change, you know? How can you make people change their perceptions just by going to the theater or seeing something new? And there was also something that I did earlier on working with company Decollage and also doing some collaborations with Kevin Turner from Com Company Chameleon, we would also tour and show work in the streets. Yes. You know, so that everyone from wherever they came from could see contemporary dance. And I remember we had one performance in maybe Zaragoza, I can't remember. And I remember the next day, this old couple just came up to us and was just like so thankful because we spoke beyond words that I think dance is an expression of that touched them so deeply. And sometimes I feel, you know, like arts can be, depending on the pricing of tickets and, you know, the company that you want to see, it's, 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 ex it's expensive to go to the theatre. Can I say it's also highly, highly unlikely that that old couple would have ever gone to the theatre to see such a thing. For me, also... As a contemporary dance artist, there's a long, long period of time where I didn't go to see any contemporary dance. And still today, you can go down the street, meet Joe Bloggs uh, down the road, ask them about contemporary dance, and they'll be like, uh, what's that? And our institutions, amazing though they are at providing infrastructure and opportunity in developing our contemporary dance culture, they are often or have often been surrounding theatres. And the theatre, one can argue, right. is still a very elitist space. Of course, it makes lots of big, you know, theatres make big efforts to open up to other audiences. But if we continue to only make work for theatre, then our art form will surely die. We must make work that reaches people because that's why we're making it. Or are we just making work for other contemporary dance artists? That, that's true. And most of the time when you go to London, Barcelona, Berlin, to a contemporary dance um, performance, most of the times that I go there, I do it just to see my friends because I know that I don't need to call you. I am going to see you there because I don't, I don't know the percentages, but mainly 80, 90% probably of the people who goes to see contemporary dance performance are performers or dance-related uh, It's not actually reaching people. We're talking about the human condition here. It's for everyone. We need to reach people. And all you have to do is go and look at the dance reality TV shows that reach millions and millions, and in India, billions of people every day to see that contemporary dance means something completely different now. Contemporary dance in the eyes or in the vernacular of the majority of people around the world is a commercial style of dance. It bears no resemblance to what we as contemporary dance artists know to be contemporary dance. The commercial sector has taken the word contemporary dance and run with it. And I say good for them because they're reaching people. And I really do honestly think that as a sector, we are failing people. One of the key uh, aspects of that is that uh, how contemporary dance, what is the goal, what, how it's perceived? Because it could be art as an entertaining entertainment, 
it's something to be consumed and that's uh, probably most the majority of people how, how perceive it but we can co go back to the thing that you were saying uh, just a few minutes ago that it's is a an exploration of what does it mean to be human talking about how we lost hunger how we sometimes our strength fail us to continue in this world I can see that you guys, you are not at this moment. I'm sure you 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 have been, and that would be my next question. But I'm sure that you've been in, in dark places where it was difficult to continue, and even you question if you were going to continue. But you both, right now, we can hear you with a tremendous passion, with a, a drive and a will and a direction. And this is something that I think that's that's the very beginning. In order not to lose the hunger or to regain it, is to to know what is your north, where are you going. And this is one of the directions that we are trying to to take, or the main one in towards Vivencia, that's why we call it there, is, is towards, is hacia, it uh, is, is marks a direction towards Vivencia, which is a word that in English doesn't exist, which is what it changes you, what it transforms you, what it moves you. And through this training, we are trying to, uh, for people to, to mark those directions when sometimes it's lost, or when we have so many inputs that we lost which one is our voice and our call. And for you guys, it seems that it's very clear. And I would be very interested in, in hearing from you both those moments, because sometimes you hear people like you that you have an, a, an enormous career as, as performers, they're very successful, as Miku was saying, it, was as, it wasn't handed to me. But sometimes from outside, it's like, well, this, this girl is really lucky. She got all the jobs. and. And we don't see the world behind, we don't see the drama, and even more with the social media that we are used nowadays, we only have those happy moments. So I would like to ask you both, one moment, one, one particular situation, one very dark uh, scenario in which you thought that you were not going to, to continue as a dance artist, and most most uh, importantly for me, more than the scenario that's itself, that you don't need to reveal detail. But what I'm interested in is how you recover from it. What was the, the wake-up call and, and how did you claim, uh, claim and climb again the mountain of, yes, until the moment that you are right now in, into that passion? Dark moments. Hmm. I'm sure there are, but I've probably deleted them from my hard drive in my brain. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when I was first starting out after um, graduating from the Northern School of Contemporary Dance and not having a job, you know, and having a skill set and going to auditions and not getting these jobs and thinking, am I actually going to make it? going on the dole and actually going to these job centers and they're offering me jobs at McDonald's or Burger King or Accessorize and I'm like, I've just got my Bachelor's of Performing Arts degree <laughs> at a conservatoire and you're offering me these kinds of jobs. That was like a really dark moment. But I think I've been lucky enough to, first of all, train in Kung Fu, which is something that you said at the beginning of the podcast, and having a mother that has you know, determination. Kung Fu, for me, we, me and my sister actually trained in it for 10 years competitively. And that gives some kind of commitment and determination and discipline 
you know, that you instill in your, in your body. You know, my mother is also a yoga teacher, so I've been practicing yoga since I was a child. You know, if I look at things that I've done now is really connecting back to nature. You know, now I'm in London and I'm on the underground going from here, there and everywhere, and I feel the stress on my body from this concrete jungle. So, you know, yesterday I spent time at Hampstead Heath, you know, and just sitting by a tree or having my feet in the grass, you know, like I've also gone and done Vipassana, which is 10 days silent meditation. And there you are com completely isolated to yourself. And the practice is to constantly be in the moment, you know, that's nothing else but sitting and concentrating on your breathing, not even cultivating your breath like in pranayama within yoga techniques, but just focusing on a point on the tip of your lips to be <laughs> in the present moment every single time. So for me, it's really about these healing modalities that I can always come back to that gives me that inner strength for me to continue doing the things that I do. You know, like I was just at Rambert and I was restaging work of Sidi Labi's um, and Damien Gelé's Sin. And I was talking to one or two of the dancers and they were like, they don't have this here. You know, it's very much on physical technique, how you look, you know, like for me, nutrition is like a huge ingredient to keep you your fuel burning at the optimum. So what is this thing that we're striving towards in these companies? Of course, you know, you have to be peak performance. You have to, you know, as a performer, you have to hit the right step at the right time with the right feeling, you know? So these things, nutrition, yoga, meditation, breath work, I'm, you know, these are things that I always come back to and come back to yourself. You know, I'm also into, at the moment, ecstatic dance events, you know, conscious clubbing, you know, and you meet whole other sorts of people there. But what I love about it is that they do not care. They just dance how they want. They, you know, and you just see them completely off on this world of expression and freedom. And they don't care what they look like. And most of society does. You know, okay, like what kind of um, image are you giving off? You know, being in a particular company, you know, that's also something that is very prevalent, I think, in, in the UK. I'd say that um, dance artists, dance work, any kind of representation of the body, any kind of work that is dealing with the embodied self or the human condition is now even more important than it ever has been. You were talking, your, your question was about dark places and um, I can't really pinpoint one time. Um, uh, life has definitely been up and down, up and down. I'd actually say that uh, training for me was very difficult. Um, uh, Niku uh, Navala talks a lot about how lucky she was to have um, instilled in her um, a real kind of discipline and sense of grounding and security from both her mother and her training in Kung Fu. 
Um, I didn't have that. <laughs> I wasn't so lucky. And um, I didn't come from a family where anyone had, you know, owned a business or even owned a car um, or really had climbed the ladders of society. And so uh, dance training was my lesson in discipline. It was my lesson in resilience. And it was very, very difficult. Yes, what, what Niku says about coming back to to nature, to oneself, to this idea of presence is vital. Yes, going to India for me really did save my life, actually. And I was also lucky enough to discover Vipassana meditation and do a 10-day Vipassana retreat in Sri Lanka. And um, this is such an opposite to our normal daily life in cities. Suddenly, um, I could see again and realize the potential of myself just from stillness and silence. All it takes is a few minutes of presence, either of the mind or in the body, to realize that the potential for healing is within you, no matter where you are. The environment might not be very good. It might not be conducive to health or wellness, but if you can fight to find that time within, to find that presence, then the whole world is your oyster. The more I am in this world of performance presence, of being present, uh, which uh, I've been fascinated by it for 20 years, you know, like you are on a stage and someone tells you, oh, you have an amazing presence, like, what the hell do you mean? Because I know what I feel, but I don't know how it, it feels. Uh, how can I replicate it and how can it, can it be seen? So, so it's fantastic to hear you guys talking about it. And the, the more I spend in this uh, world of the presence, of being present, the more I hear people talking about it in different ways. So it, it is not cliche, it is not something. So how is it in English? You have to correct me. Wassy-washy, wassy-washy. Wishy-washy. <laughs> Wishy-washy, exactly. It is not that magical or esoterical. It's something very, very real and very tangible. And that's where it is fantastic to hear you because uh, we are more and more people. We are becoming almost an army. At the beginning, you think that you are alone in this crusade to, to allow people, to help people, to share your tools of how to be present. But no, we are more and more because we are living at times, as you said, that is massively important because we are so distracted with all the things that we forget about that uh, that presence and, and that place from within. And that I would like to, to ask you uh, in, a, in a concrete way, you were talking about uh, walking meditation, you were talking about uh, sitting meditation, vipassana, being in silence for days, uh, going to hamsters for a walk and being in nature. Would you be able to share with us more of those tools, practical tools that everyone can do in their daily life or even better in their classes, in their everyday classes, in their performances, in rehearsals, those days that you wake up at night, what the fuck, I don't want to go to rehearsal today to repeat the same dance phrase. But how, what are the tools that you've been using, that you've been collecting over the years that you can share with us for people to apply them to no tomorrow as soon as they hear this podcast? I, I mean, I, I've just started this master's degree in creative practice, um, which is partly taught at um, independent dance and Chevron Davis dance. And I've wanted to do this degree for a long time because it very much is focused on somatic practice and somatic <laughs> practice into uh, creative research. So um, I'm just about to 
go on a big journey um, to explore very specific somatic techniques intensively. Um, but from the very end of my training, I um, have kept um, a few very special books and resources that have really kept me going. Um, the first is one book called um, The Wisdom of the Body Moving by Linda Hartley. It's an introduction to body-mind centering. Um, body-mind centering is a whole uh, uh, process and um, uh, program developed by Bonnie Brainbridge Cohen in the USA. So this book, it's a really quite large book, um, and it goes into lots of aspects of, um, of de developmental processes of children um, in um, all of the different layers of the body, from the skin to the liquid body to the musculoskeletal system, the lymphatic system, and so on and so forth. So many, many different explorations and, and quite poetic um, uh, descriptions of the processes and forms. Um, so from the end of my training, I recorded a few of these explorations with my own voice. And of course, we can do that really easily on our phones now. And I would then listen back to them. And I'd use that as a kind of a freedom time to explore. So on one hand, I've got a really kind of established kind of knowledge uh, resource to tap into. And then on the other hand, I've got a little space of freedom for myself to be inspired physically. So that was one thing. Another really important thing that's kept me going is the work of Moshe Feldenkrais. Um, uh, Feldenkrais's work, as many will know, is a process of neuromuscular repatterning using very small micro-movements repeated. Um, it's very, very low level, using the neuromuscular feedback loop to kind of iron out those habitual movement patterns that cause us stress and strain that builds up daily. Um, and there's an amazing resource online that anyone can access at any time on any device called openatm.org. It's very easy, openatm.org. ATM stands for Awareness Through Movement, which is the group uh, therapy process of Moshe Feldenkrais. There are hundreds of hours of Awareness Through Movement classes on that website that have been recorded. They can be downloaded for free, they can be um, streamed. And all you have to do is find a quiet space, get those headphones on, and within half an hour of a lesson, you might not even do that much, suddenly you've, you've changed something. And if you can make a little change, suddenly the potential for the body and the self is revealed. And if I'm feeling stressed or, 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 or bound, um, then all I have to do is go, go there, and I'm then approaching my next task in a new way, with a, with a, with a different approach, in a different body. Yeah. Or, on the other hand, just go and hug a tree. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, sometimes before a performance... Coconut tree? Hug a tree. It, could, it needs to be a coconut tree. Doesn't need to be a coconut tree, but maybe a tree that's been standing there for a while. I mean, I remember, like, sometimes if I could, before a dance performance, 
to go and find a tree to go and hug. And I know, as hippie as it sounds, it definitely helped me get through some performances sometimes, you know, or even if it's taking five or 10 minutes to sit somewhere in a quiet, silent space. I think that's something anyone can do and make sure that you turn off your um, Wi-Fi gadgets when you're sleeping. Yes. <laughs> that's definitely a must, you know, so you don't get those rays while you're actually trying to regenerate your, your body overnight. Or get to bed on a, you know, at a good time, preferably before midnight. Otherwise, the sleep patterns are different. I mean, those are the simple things that I would probably, someone could do tomorrow. But I think it's like taking those steps day by day, you know, the simple things, you know. Well, so we're so obsessed with how we look. And how we look is very important to dancers, to get jobs and to be to be successful, no doubt. But we have to balance that somehow. We've got to balance that with an inner sense, with an inner knowing. Um, one way, I mean, lots of people kind of learn in different ways, but for me, actually just looking at the drawing of the skeleton, just looking at um, sort of any kind of image of um, the, 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 our physical body from inside actually changes my perception of my own body. Um, it might not work for everyone, but I think uh, recently there was some, um, there was an exhibition of cadavers of, of human bodies uh, where the person had moved on and the body was left and they had been preserved. Um, some people found this quite nasty to, to look at, but the thing is that's actually what's inside of us. And because we're so scared of understanding who we are, we're, we have such a fear of death in our culture, we don't like to really focus on our internal structure. But if you can actually take the time to either look at a drawing or look at a real photo of any part of the body, really, you suddenly have an inroad to an inner sense, an inner felt presence of the body. And that connects you. It grounds you to who you are in reality. Um, and I find... Personally, I find that really, really helpful. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you both for, for all those tips that uh, are really valuable. And I'm sure most of the people who are listening to us can see very, very easy ways to, to understand them and to apply them from tomorrow. Um, now, let's go back a little bit to the idea of, of reality, because somehow uh, it is it is also a fact that uh, most of us are aware of those uh, of that information. We, we hear uh, that in different books, in different uh, people talking to us, teachers, they've been telling us those kind of practices. F hearing from you, it's, it's also very reassuring because we've seen how it works for you. So can you tell us a day in your life that you haven't done the things that you consider that are good for you and can you tell us a little bit how do you go to bed? What is the sensation and how you manage to make peace with those kind of days that you cannot do or you, you were not able or, or you didn't have the will to do those things that you know that benefit you? Or on the contrary, you are those kind of people that are incredibly disciplined and you know what is good for you and you do it every day religiously without a fault. <laughs> if you could just see our faces now. 
<laughs> Describe it to me, please. I'm kind of like trying to hold back laughter. No, we're both smiling. <laughs> yeah, we're smiling. We're smiling in recognition. Okay, I'm going to answer the second part of the question. Yes. And I think I could speak for both of us. We're pretty disciplined. And I think any dancer in this, you know, community, you have to be some kind of self-disciplined. But I also think there is such... Um, deep self-criticism that we give ourselves and we place on ourselves being dancers. And I think somewhat we are mostly perfectionists. You know, we are, we are yeah, too critical. And, you know, there's... And, and I think, yeah, it's damaging. And I think, I mean, I try not to take myself so seriously. You know, if there are some things in the day that I don't get done, I'm like, okay, I did my best. I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow is the next day. I mean, when I'm doing or teaching class, I'm always like, okay, smile from the inside, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. You know, if some people can't get the, the phrase or whatever, and they can't hold a stance or whatever, I'm like, smile from the inside, you know, do it out of love and happiness and positivity. And I think always coming back to that, you know, you send out a certain vibration into the universe that will attract that back to yourself. Wow. Good day, bad day, achieving things, not achieving things. Um, oh, that's a really difficult one, to be honest with you. Um, I think, one, not being too hard on yourself is really important. Two, not trying to do too much. Um, I'm quite guilty of that. Often I think, oh, I could do this and this. Oh, and it'd be great if I could do that. And of course, that's not achievable. If you are putting uh, an insurmountable task ahead of you, then you are exponentially uh, more likely to fail. <laughs> and failure is not good. So I would say breaking things down into little steps and being really happy and really grateful for those little steps is really useful. Understanding that you need rest to effectively be productive. Um, you can't be productive if you don't rest. Um, you know, um, it sounds quite simple, but we often forget this because we want to push and we want to achieve and we want to be better than the next or better than ourselves and so on and so forth. Um, uh, for me, something that I've started trying to do is how to start my day and that's not easy. Um, mostly to do with eating and health. The idea of preparing my, my stomach with the day with hot water and lemon rather than sort of, you know, eating straight away. Um, and then sort of, you know, the next layer of, of, of nutrition being something like a, a green smoothie or fruit rather than, again, something kind of carbohydrate-based. It's something that I'm trying to implement at the moment because I know it helps me so much, but it's really difficult because depending on what time I went to bed or something, you know, I, um, sometimes a plate of hot buttered toast is just what you want in the morning or something that I've been programmed to, to, to want. So that's a really big thing that I'm trying to focus on at the moment is starting my day really well with the most basic kind of care and, uh, and, and clean nutrition. Um, yeah, so step by step, be kind to yourself and be your best friend. What would you say to your best friend? 
I bet you don't speak to your best friend how you speak to yourself. Very, very true. And now you should see my face with the biggest smile of uh, recognizing everything that you'd say. And you're like, yeah, yeah, right, big time. <laughs> so thank you for that, guys. So I would like to, to ask you two more questions. The first uh, one, it's, it's a bit longer, and so you can go as deep or as superficial as you want. But um, you both were telling me about these uh, Indian uh, dancers so hungry and you were telling me about Goa, and I know that you are about to run the second program, right? Uh, in The third program. <laughs> the third already, my mistake, my apologies. So third program. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about the third program? What are you expecting to pass on to those dancers who are uh, coming to, to your program? And who are those dancers? Sure, yes. So the Goa Dance Residency, it's, it's a three-month intensive contemporary dance training and performance program based at the Jungle Dance Theatre, which is a stunningly beautiful natural space um, just off the coast of Goa on, in West India. Um, and it's for both Indian and international dance artists um, at a level of... Um, just completed training or professional or returning to dance. And um, there really it's a chance to train full time, to create, to perform within a healthy environment, really. From my point of view, it's a chance to, to share our experience as dance artists with other dance artists really from around the world. We always have um, a good portion of the group um, as Indian dance artists, um, as well as people from all over the world, from America, from Israel, Russia, Europe, South America, so on and so forth. Yeah, it's not just about the training and the opportunity to perform on the stage. We have an amazing theatre, an amazing international creative community who live in Goa every season. Um, but it's also a chance to connect with other dancers on their journey and to learn from each other. Yeah, but perhaps Nico can talk a little bit more about the content of the program. Okay, so I mean, a normal day at Jungle Dance would be 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. yoga, meditation, somatics class with um, Isaac Mullins, who is the most incredible yoga teacher that I have actually met over the last couple of years decades that I've been that I've been studying yoga um, saying something considering I mean I remember he does Wim Hof breath breathing method which I think is transformational breath and I remembered that he actually this year gave his services his teachings as an exchange because he believed so much in the in the project and I, I mean I took his breathing sessions and it was so transformational. I mean, I don't know, you know, like I was crying, my hands were like claws, you know. And there was one time that he did it with the group. And he said, wow, did you, I, I mean, I wasn't there that evening, but he was just like, everyone had been going off the roof, like, like sleepwalking, crying, not allowing anyone to touch them and, you know, laughing, you know, and revelations. It was a revelation. <laughs> so we have Isaac coming to teach yoga. We have Olivia 
who is a beautiful Italian yoga teacher. Yep, she, she was, she's been involved on the program since its beginning and uh, teaches <coughs> uh, yoga for dancers, um, kind of Iyengar based, uh, very much to do with alignment. Um, and injury prevention. Yes. Um, and also we have, uh, is it Yael who also teaches Feldenkrais yes. as well? So Yael Sibulski, yeah. I met her at the DAR Festival. Dance Academy of Russia. Yes, and I was really blown away by her research and her way of looking at movement and connecting that with Feldenkrais. And she will be teaching class. She will also be making a new work. A new work. We have Vittoria de Ferrari, who I've worked closely with, um, Eastman, the company of City Labi, and she's also worked with Akram Khan, Jan Fab, and... Yeah, her work and her style for me embodies many, many different practices. She also takes inspiration from Aikido, and she will also be making a new work. I have Kevin, Kevin Edward Turner from Company Chameleon, who from I've the UK. from the UK, and who I actually studied with at the Northern School. He is a very dear, dear friend of mine, and I respect his work. He's also doing a lot of work on um, mental health and bringing these issues alight in this day and age that we live in and um, yeah using the power of dance to heal and he will also be teaching class and also be making new work we also have Houstonia who um, I uh, was a great friend of mine we worked together with Stanmore Dance which is Rob Tanya and Liam Steele from DV8 Physical Theatre he um, ha is currently working with Wim van der Kabus um, and uh, he will also be teaching on the programme and he was teaching last year as well uh, we have Irene Sposetti teaching contact improvisation. Basically, we have lots of amazing teachers who are all really excited about coming together to, to, to impart their work um, and to work intensively and to make performance for the stage. Um, it's been really important from the start to um, incorporate a broad range of contemporary dance technique training, as well as a broad range of creative and choreographic methodologies really kind of helped with a good grounding in yogic and somatic practices to um, to ensure that people are working safely and healthily in a holistic fashion. Um, and we have an amazing kitchen with gorgeous vegetarian food um, that really kind of uh, yeah, nourishes us from inside. Um, there's so much more we could say <laughs> about the residency, um, but it, yeah, it's all on the website, www goadanceresidency.com oh, fantastic we will put it in the in the description of the um, of the podcast for everyone who is interested to look more at it it looks uh, amazing with everything what you were saying all together with the, the dance training the food and the amazing landscape that you were describing before of the this magical place of, of goa is one of those places that you need to go before you die and if you can go into that and go at dance residency, even better, right? Mm -hmm. It also gives your, you your own space to research and create yourself, which I think is really important as an artist. So this is something that we also... Um, out, of the, out of the city. Out of the city, exactly. Amazing. And what, when is this happening? So it's happening from January 6th until April 5th, 2020. 
It's a new year, wow. new year thing. What an amazing way to to start 2020, yeah? Yeah, and get out of the winter. Yeah. Winter cold. Yes. If yes. you live in one of those countries. Because <laughs> in um, India, it's 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 beautiful weather there. It's it's technically winter in India, India at that time, but. Winter's different. It's basically just hot. Yeah, Nathaniel, winter at 30 degrees is not winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, guys, uh, thank you very much. It sounds amazing, the work that you are doing there. Uh, it's been very, very inspirational to hear you about uh, other dancers uh, in different parts of the world that uh, are this hungry to do new information, which at the end of the day they are taking from you, but finally they give back everything that you are giving to them because you come back so inspired and with uh, so much life and it's been great to have all the insight about how you train your your presence and your dark moments and your discipline and um, friendship to yourselves so thank you very much for an insightful conversation i hope it will be more in the future because uh, if you agree with that, I would love to have you back maybe in April or May when you go back to the residency and hopefully some of these uh, listeners uh, will be there and then you can share how it went. And uh, it would be amazing to hear how, how did it go and how are you preparing for the fourth edition for the next year? That'd be great. It would be really lovely to, to come and chat with you again um, from, from the other side. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure that you have lots of work to do ahead, uh, but it seems all in a very, very good place. It seems uh, incredible. So, guys, thank you very much once again for a wonderful conversation. Uh, I had a great, great time. I, I can't wait to, ha uh, to have you back in April or May. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's really nice to take some time out and, and just, just chat, just talk and get inspired and remember stuff. Um, so thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And we would also love to have you in India with us. Yes. Sometime in the future when you're not so busy. It would be my pleasure. <laughs> uh, beautiful people, thank you once again. Have a great uh, rest of the evening and um, all the best, uh, all the luck. And I will be thinking of you the next few months and uh, when you are there in Goa. Sending you all my love. Thank you. Sending lots of love back to you. And thank you for having us and thank you for opening this opportunity for us to talk about our project with you. We're going to go into rehearsal now for the charge. <laughs> well, enjoy that uh, sweat and uh, thank you very much once again for your generosity. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Wait for a second before you all go. We are about to open our next edition of Towards Vivencia, the online training. Visit our website for more info www.towardsvivencia.com that is www.towards t-o-w-a-r-d-s v-i-v-e-n-c-i-a dot com and join a community from all around the world to help you to tackle the lack of consistency and regularity in training to have the accountability mechanisms and directions for you to reach your own goals and to go beyond traditional training, start training self-care, resilience, presence and playfulness. And also, how feel that you are not alone in this profession that involves constantly changing jobs, cities and people around you. Here we are, 
to make a great community of freelance dancers, freelance artists, in order to go beyond, farther than we can go alone. I hope to see you in the arena. Bye for now.